walks on his feet. He looks up and gives me a grin and says, Hey, dude, you too must be from Marin. Marin County's A-OK from Tamastin and all the way to M.A. Fresh organic veggies in the market every day. This is the Run TMC podcast. That is the Run the Marin County podcast, podcast about basketball in Marin County. I am Duffy Ballard, and with me, as always, is basketball guru and coach and friend Dave Levine, and we are on to episode 14. How are you feeling about 14, Dave? Duff, I'm great. I'm happy about it, and I'm now looking on basketball reference for famous players who wore number 14 because I could think of Dan Fouts in football, but basketball, no, no 14s jump out at you, right Duff? No, it's true. And I was just actually having this conversation with someone yesterday about the number nine and whether we could think of any really good basketball players with the number nine, which by the way, is the number of times that Draymond is going to get ejected this year going to be at least that's over under right now is nine yeah he wishes you could get nine uh fouls in a game okay tyler hero is a is 14 okay all right that's a more what about nine one. do you have a nine for me uh let's think nine was eddie jones nine i'm not looking at it i'm i'm, I'm now i'm bragging here wait select number three. three i don't know listeners all if right. you have suggestions on nine or three uh, Kent Bazemore is nine, Duff. Okay, obviously. all right. Yeah, nice lefty stroke. Well, the, gr- the great Kent Bazemore. We're already stumped and we're already off topic and we're only a minute and 30 into the podcast. So setting, setting new records here on uh, episode 14. Okay, moving on. Should we get, yeah, let's get into it. Uh, Marin basketball update. Uh, we appreciate the correspondents doing the work for us out in the field. Uh, we are going to First, summarize what we heard from Johnny Kearns, who was at San Rafael Terralinda uh, rock fight this weekend. Uh, and that was a back and forth game. Uh, San Rafael was leading most of the game. Uh, Gio Bravelli had another big game. Terralinda came all the way back and they took the lead on a corner three from Chase Adelman, who's been putting up big numbers. And then San Rafael t- took it to overtime with free throws at the, the very end of regulation. And then back and forth, TL won at the buzzer on a baseline floater. So good win for Tara Linda, a rock fight and heartbreak for uh, San Rafael. And then unfortunately for San Rafael, but fortunately for us, Dave, uh, we played them last night and it was another rock fight. Would you like to hear about it? I would love to, Duff. Okay. Well, first, uh, we want to, before, I want to give a shout out to the Marin IJ, Derek Wilson and Ian Ross. And yeah. I would... I have the job now, Dave, of uh, either calling or writing in our sports briefs after our games, which we do more often if we win than if we lose. But there was the first time I did it, I called in uh, and I wasn't sure whether or not, because you know, it was late at night, I wasn't sure if it was going to get picked up. So then I looked on uh, the IJ site and they had the, the cell phone number. I called Derek Wilson. He picked up the phone at like 1030 and took oh. my report over the phone. So anyway... Very cool that they do this, um, and very cool for the community. So thank you uh, to Derek and to Ian. Uh, so this is what we sent in last night after our, our game versus at home versus 
uh, camera fell. Sophomore Alex Hamblett muscled in an offensive rebound with two seconds to go in OT, and the clock ran out on the San Rafael Bulldogs. Archie Williams, 5-3, and three, and San Rafael battled back and forth all game with Owen Bugas, 19 points, pushing the game to overtime with six seconds to go in regulation, and Gio Brevelli, 23 points, keeping San Rafael competitive until the very end in overtime. Archie Williams, also paced by, Julian, by senior Julian Nickel and sophomore Brian Wright, 13 points each, placed at TAM on Friday. So there you go. Well, congrats, Duff. That's a that's unbelievable. And I believe you guys have had, Archie's now, the boys have had two home games and you've won both of them on buzzer beaters. Yes. We, and, and both times we've had, you know, some uh, some crowd rushing the court last night. It was the boys soccer team, all with their blonde hair. Uh, and there was a big mob on Alex Hamlet who looked, you know, pretty darn happy. Great, a very, great kid, really happy for him. It was a really tough put back and he muscled it in. So yeah, it was a good win. Good win, Dave. I mean, that's what, that's what high school hoops is all about. So um, congrats. So I, last night I was actually at the Branson Redwood boys game, uh, which was a, a really fun game to watch uh, at, at Redwood. Uh, Branson beat Redwood 66 to 45. Um, actually, Redwood started off really well and they were up early. And then Branson just went on a huge run. Um, I saw somewhere they went on a 31 to 7 run to end the half. And Redwood wow. just really struggled from the field, took a lot of threes, just couldn't find the range. They're really good shooters. I think this is going to be um, a better battle the next time they play. They play again soon, January 5th, uh, in their first uh, for a league game. And uh, I would expect Redwood's going to make it closer because I think these are two pretty evenly matched teams. Branson just got the best of them last night. Yeah. Uh, but fun game to watch, good crowd, good energy. Yeah, they're ranked, Dave. Uh, I looked yesterday on Max Preps before the game. They were ranked uh, 20th and 21st in the state, all divisions, and third and fourth in North Coast. So two very competitive teams. And we'll note that last year, I believe Branson put it to Redwood in their first meeting. Pretty good walloping. And then Redwood yep. got him back in the second one. Yep, absolutely. So we'll, so we'll see. We'll be fun. Okay, moving on, Duff. Go. Last item. So... First of all, we would like to hear from more correspondents. We recognize we're going to be uh, biased towards Archie Williams, uh, as well as probably Branson, Redwood, and San Domenico in terms of our report outs. But call out to other people for watching other games. We'd love to hear from you. You can send us a voice memo. You can send us an email. You can send us a text, and we'll get it into the podcast. So absent that for this week, um, I was up at Santa Rosa for the Santa Rosa Frosh Tournament, 16-team tournament. Caught a couple of those games, and uh, I was talking to our friend, friend of the pod, Tom Poser, and uh, he suggested that uh, in the final that we get a picture of all the run TMC kids that were out on the floor. And by that, he meant that, as I believe we mentioned before, the name run TMC was initially Tom's uh, concept, and it was for our youth basketball program that we started out of COVID. And... We did a couple summers and springs and summers worth of clinics and games and uh, traveled around. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but in this final game, which was Redwood and Archie Williams, we had, I believe, at least seven of our kids that had been in the program, including Max Nilsson, Wes Fitzpatrick, Owen Johnson, Eddie Poser, Nate Ryan, Dash Briggs, and then uh, my son Holden. So it was fun. Redwood got out super hot, 28 to 6. They were up in the first quarter, scored 28 points in the first quarter, Dave. Uh, on their on their way to on pace to score over 100, and then Archie just scrambled back, uh, you know, one play at a time. It was ended up being a 
a dogfight at the end, and Archie got him in overtime uh, by two points. So, uh, great win for them, and uh, that Redwood team's going to be really good. And the fresh, you know, the fresh basketball is fun to watch. It's, you know, there's some good players, they're competitive, good athletes. It'll be fun to see them develop over the next couple of years. The the skill level in Marin across the board, boys, girls, varsity, JV, freshmen is really really good, and. Uh, you know, maybe part of that is all the stuff we've been talking about on all our episodes about the skills training that's available now to the kids and the, the fact that these kids are really working a lot, but I totally agree. Watching freshman games is really fun. Um, and it's cool to see those kids thrive. Yep. Uh, I, I want to give one last shout out here and then we'll move on. Duff, um, Avery Meyerberg for Branson is our podcast player of the week. She put in 37 points in Branson's win in a tournament. Um, and including they were down six, I believe, with 16 seconds left. And Avery hit two threes to send it to overtime and then hit free throw to win it in overtime. So Avery is just um, filling up the stat sheet and doing a great job. So shout out to Avery, our podcast player of the week. Yeah, congratulations. Good job. Keep it going. All right, Dave, what time is it? Oh, it's sponsor time, Duff. It definitely is. All right, uh, let's see. So we have four sponsors that we're gonna uh, run through on this episode. We're gonna start with Karen Hortzmeyer. Just like Karen's coached athletes to victory, she's here to coach you to a successful real estate sale. Ready to sell your home or know someone who is? Karen brings the same expertise, strategy, and commitment to every real estate transaction as your trusted real estate advisor. She'll create a winning game plan for you for purchasing and or selling your home. Call Karen today at 415-794-4311. And guess what, Dave? If you missed meet her in person, what do you think she'll be wearing? Oh, I'm sure she'll be wearing her Run TMC yeah, shirt. I, I think there's pretty good, pretty good likelihood. So, yes, thank you, Karen, for being a uh, trusted sponsor. And uh, we're going to get your interview out very soon. It was a great interview. Yes, but yeah, great interview. Uh, next sponsor, North Bay Basketball Academy. Our friends at NBBA. Uh, NBBA provides quality instruction in all aspects of basketball with an emphasis on fundamentals and skill development. It's been really fun to see um, all the NBBA alums currently playing on college teams on, on NBBA's Instagram. Recently, they they did a summary of some of the kids' um, recent exploits, and it's it's awesome. I think they have some like 30 ex-NBBA kids playing somewhere in college. Um, so head over to www.northbaybasketball.com for more info on skills, sessions, camps, teams, uh, but NBBA does a great job. So thank you for being a sponsor to NBBA. Yes, and they have some camps coming up very soon. Yes. Early January, yep. All right, we're on to the hub. Uh, We have some new copy from the hub, and here we go. Serving 100% grass-fed beef burgers, and you can really taste the difference in the quality of this burger patty. The Hub has 23 toppings to choose from, so you can customize your burger with avocado slices, pickled veggies, or even a fried egg. Or just make it easy on yourself and choose a number, one through five, that are already on the menu. You can choose from a sesame, whole wheat, gluten-free bun, or get your burger lettuce wrapped. They always have a featured backyard burger, which changes every couple weeks, and is usually a creative combination from the chef. My personal favorite is the number four chicken burger, it's not to be missed. I believe also Joe Euphrat, friend of the pod. I think he likes the chicken burger too. So. That's my order. Number four. Yeah. I love it. Number four. Yep. Awesome. Thank you, Hub. And then finally, our friends Jesse and Laurent. I saw 
the Shearings last night at the Redwood Branson game. They're they're fans of of the sport, um, and they're they're sponsors of our pod. Jesse and Laurent is a gourmet, ready to eat meal delivery service, facilitating family meals throughout the Bay Area, Sacramento, and North Tahoe region. Been around for forty years with delicious and healthy heat and serve meals, and I have some new update from them. Uh, Jesse and Laurent want to make your holidays easy and delicious. We have a prime rib dinner feast that includes prime rib, whipped mashed potatoes, fresh cream spinach, delicata squash wow. with roasted wow. Brussels sprouts, and cauliflower. Wow. Yes, Duffy. Wow. Not forgetting horseradish, creme fraiche, and classic jus for the roast. Damn, this is making me hungry. Wow. It's a crowd pleaser for sure. There's also a local artesian charcuterie and cheese platter on the menu that makes you hit the hit of any holiday party. And very important, Duff. And our listeners, don't forget the special Run TMC listener code. I failed to mention this last time. TMC enter, 20. T, enter TMC20, no space, mm-hmm. for $20 off your first order. Uh, thank you so much, Jesse and Laurent. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to get on the website. Uh, it is www.jesseandlaurent.com. Yes. And the Jesse is J-E-S-S-I-E. Yes. Thank you, Duff. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Glossary time. Yep. All right. Uh, shall I start here, Dave? Please. Okay. Uh, swim move. All right. This is a maneuver uh, that is not unique to the sport of basketball. Uh, it is also used in football, in particular, uh, by defensive linemen to uh, to rush the uh, quarterback. Uh, I've seen Nick Bosa use it in a successful manner, among many other. But in basketball, it is a maneuver that is primarily used by uh, an offensive rebounder, in particular in a set situation, for example, on a free throw line. And you can YouTube it. Uh, I'm amazed how many big men uh, at the high school level I don't see using it because it's, it's pretty simple uh, to use. Essentially, you're taking your outside hand, so the hand that is away from the man who's trying to box you out, the defensive rebounder, and you're using you're pulling it across your body and you're giving a little push. And this is a little push that occurs kind of as the shot's going up. So oftentimes the official's not gonna see it because they're looking at the shot go up. And then your near hand, the hand that is right next to the defender who's trying to box you out, is gonna swim over that outside hand and allow you to, at the same time, put your near foot in front of the defender. And so you now have inside position. So it's called a swim move because you're essentially swimming that inside hand over the space created by the outside hand. And if you're doing it all in one movement, and if you do it correctly, you now have inside position. It's a great move. It's a great move for for even smaller players to get to get position on bigger players and get in there and rebound. Um, so that's a good one. Yeah, especially if it's smaller, I think, because it doesn't rely on being stronger. A lot of times, you just see, you know, an offensive rebound, just sort of like you're just trying to push yep. the guy underneath the basket, which certain people can do, but not everyone. And so if you are a smaller or even lighter player, especially if you have some length, that's a very effective move. Yep. Awesome. Good one, Duff. Okay, mine is called is get action, G-E-T, get. Mm. Very simple action that you've seen a lot. Uh, it involves a guard typically passing to a post player at the top of the key and then following the guard follows their pass and gets a handoff back from the post player. So you, it's like you throw the ball, you pass the ball, and then you go get it yourself. Um, very common action between guards and posts because it's a, essentially a, you know, a ball screen, um, and you get a mismatch, right? Where you have a small player 
getting screened by a larger player, maybe forcing a switch, and then you have a small player guarding a big player, right? So yeah. Steph and Draymond do this all the time. Steph will toss it to Draymond, go get it back from him on a handoff, and then that facilitates the offense. So yeah. get action, very common action that's used across high school, college, pro. I used to love uh, playing with Don Drake. I don't know if we talked about Don Drake, but great player, uh, former yeah. uh, principal at, at Drake. And uh, we played in leagues together and you just throw it to him at the, the high post and you just come, you come get it. And he would just, even though he wasn't particularly uh, wide, he was strong and bony and he would just take out, take out your defender, you get it back, you'd have an open shot. So. Good stuff. Yep. Um, all right, Duff, let's get to our guest, shall we? We shall. So this is a, this is a fun one. I, I, I will say this, if you're in a bad mood, uh, just listen to this interview. So Dan Dibley is our guest. Dan is a uh, Marin native and legend. Uh, we I spent, by the way, Duffy was late to the interview, not reining me in. And I think I spent 30 minutes on Dan's uh, background and intro. Mm-hmm. So yep. I just went way off the reservation. But uh, this discussion was exactly what we thought and hoped it would be. It was unstructured. It was funny. It was random. It was insightful. And... Uh, at least for me, it was thoroughly entertaining. Dan's been uh, 25 years Bay Area Sports Talk Radio. Um, he's one of the funnier humans I've ever met. So give it a listen, and then we can uh, we can catch up after. Yeah, great sense of humor. Uh, linguist. I learned a few new words in that interview and uh, some great stories and definitely some that you could dig into and, and, uh, and spend a lot more time. But we'll talk about this on the outro, won't we, Dave? All right. Here we go. Here's All Dan. Right. All right, we're going. Hi, Dibs. How are you? I'm great. Uh, we're here with Dan Dibley, uh, which is, I mean, we are in the presence of a celebrity. I'm in the presence of a celebrity. Duffy's not here yet, Dibs. He'll be here soon. I can't wait. Yeah, he's, uh, he's imposing physically. Um, so Dan Dibley, for our listeners, uh, he's probably a familiar voice. He has been on the radio for 25 years, Dibs. Yeah. We're, we're going to get yeah. into his amazing story. But yeah, Dibs has been a radio personality and celebrity for 25 years in the Bay Area. He's a broadcaster. He's charismatic, hilarious, amazing. And most importantly, Dibs is a listener of our podcast. Love the pod. I've got butterflies right now. And yeah, I can't don't... wait to meet Duff because uh, between the two of you, you were like my uh, Madden Summerall for wow. my walks to work. Wow. You just lost everybody that's under the age of 40. You can that's Google okay. it, kids. Yeah, you can You're Google fine. it. All right, well, we're going to go through Dibs' background here. Uh, and then he, he told me to not give him the questions in advance, which I love because he's on the radio every day, so he does this a lot. Uh, and Dibs, I'm going to give you free reign to just butt in, okay. correct me, embellish, add things. So grew up in Marin, Fairfax. Yep, yep. But Dibs was telling me before we started recording, across the creek from the Fulton family. Yes, the Fultons were my second family. Uh, Larry and Sister Mo, rest yep. in peace. Yep. They were ostensibly my second parents. I had free reign to go across the creek and let myself into their house. And Mo, Sister Mo, would be drinking her tab, which again, you got to Google it, kids. It's Diet old, Coke, kids. It's an old school soda. <laughs> it was Diet Coke before Diet Coke. Before Diet Coke. And Absolutely. then they tested it on laboratory rats and turned out it gave those rats cancer. And so tab became. Taboo. Yes. Exactly. Tab turned out to be short for taboo. There we go. But the Fultons were my second home. 
Love it. So yeah. when we first started this podcast, Dibs, um, one of the ideas was talking about legendary Marin families, right? And I, Duffy and I literally have a Google Doc where we talked about our, our dream list of guests. You were on that list, I'm not lying. Uh, but we talk about families, the Bravellis, the Granucci's, the Haywards, yeah. the Chavez's. Oh. The Dibleys were on that list, uh, as well as obviously the Fultons, right? So to know that the two of you Across the creek, it's almost Shakespearean and how beautiful that is. Dwayne, my father, rest in peace, yes. and Larry Fulton played college basketball together at College of Marin oh, in the 50s. Wow. And so in the 50s, it was, you know, the early days, the nascent days yeah. for you kids working on your SAT. Uh, a good vocabulary. Of Marin, not only Marin County basketball, but Marin County in general. And so Larry and my father became fast friends, and they would eventually live near each other raise their kids together. So the Fultons and Dibleys were always linked. And some of my earliest memories were going to not only CYO practices, but open yeah. gym at the pavilion. When Larry would be holding court, my father would be out there as well. Chris and Mike Fulton, Mike and Doug Dibley, and various other, you know, Fairfax, Cognoscenti. There's another one for you kids, wow. including the Sayas yeah. and, you know, Mike Davidson and, so many other, the waiters, so many other families yeah. would all congregate at the pavilion. And so me, as little Danny Dibley, which was my formal name back then, I was just kind of around this from the time I could, before I could even walk, I was around these people. So Dibs, you're born in what, 70? 68. 68. Yeah. Okay. So this is when, this is like late 70s? Even mid 70s. Mid yeah. Mid 70s. Okay. Yeah. So when I was a kid, so I, I, listeners, I think we've mentioned this, but Duffy and I met at the Fairfax Pavilion with Larry and Mike Fulton doing exactly what Dan is talking about, but maybe 15 years after that. Right. So this was going on for years where Larry Fulton would just find kids who wanted to be good players and he just had a heart the size of, you know, a cantaloupe yeah. and he wanted to give back to the community. So he'd open up the pavilion and he'd work out with us. Yeah. That's amazing. The the pavilion would be open. And, you know, you didn't need a key because there was always a door that was open. <laughs> right. But you knew on Saturday morning that Larry would be there and, you know, my dad would be there yeah. and, you know, Dick Waiter Sr. would be there and whoever else needed to be around basketball would be there. You'd go to the bakery first, yep. which I know the bakery is not the bakery anymore, but... The bakery would open at, you know, 5 a.m. for donuts. And so you get your donut and you walk up the hill to the pavilion and that's what you did. And it was cold and it was drafty and there were two hoops and they were both 10 feet off the ground. Yep. And, the, you know, the sneakers were squeaking and the coaching was elite and the basketball was great. And just that's what you did. So today, kids, and not, not to say that one's better or worse, but just to equate it to today, you go and you line up a session with Kenny or Stevie Johnson or right. Mike Turner and you go to the MBBA facility or you go to Terrell and you go to a gym and you've got kind of a curated skills session, right? Back in the day, this is what we did. We right. found a coach who wanted to work with us and the Fairfax Pavilion was freezing and dingy and crappy, but man, some of my favorite mornings in yeah. my life. No that. doubt. And I like your use of curated because back then it was also curated, but it was done organically and right. it was that's the place that you went and nowadays you know the play datification of our society yeah. and i'm as much a part of it as anyone where i would never let my kid just go play and you know growing up on cascade drive in fairfax it was 
you know, get out of my house and we'll see you at dark. And that's just the way it was. Yeah. And I don't know if the world is scarier now or if it's just that we know about Megan's Law and databases and all the rest of it. But right. we parent differently than our parents did. It doesn't mean it's better or worse. It just, it is the way that we've gone about it. So I like your use of curated because back then it was also curated. Yeah. But it was, hey, be at the pavilion at nine. Right. And you just showed up or you didn't. And that's the way it went. Yeah, we were kind of free range chickens back then. A right? little bit. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of, you mentioned CYO. Did you play CYO? I did. Yeah. St. Rita's. Okay. Who was your coach? I had a number of different coaches. Uh, actually, I played for St. Vincent's in Petaluma for fourth and fifth grade. And I'll okay. get into that part of the story because it leads up to the Drake State Championship run. Oh, beautiful. Uh, the fact that, you know, I was a Petaluma kid for a while. So was my brother, my brother, Doug, who was a part of that state championship team, a yeah. big part of it. But uh, when I came back to Fairfax, I played on the B team. And my father actually coached me okay. one of those years. And we were terrible. I mean, we were god-awful. St. Rita's B's and, you know, the A-team wasn't great. Yeah. My crowning achievement, though, as a kid is in eighth grade, I finally made the A-team. Nice. Turns out there might have been some uh, shenanigans behind the scenes. Oh, wow. Frozen envelope. Well, my father dealings. was coaching the B-team, and the story turns out was my father agreed to coach the B-team if I would make the A-team. Wow. So Tom McEntee... Uh, former principal and just yeah. a great, great man, rest in peace. He took me on the A team, led by Dave Scafani, oh, yeah. who was the original Allen Iverson. Never saw a shot he didn't like or take. We were terrible. He was our star, but I made the A team and I was coming off the bench, but I, I was never, never that much of a good basketball player. I was tiny, yeah. weak, and slow and skillless. But you have a great personality, Dan. And a lot of heart. A lot of heart and a lot of heart. I just I'm I'm excited that we're we're breaking scandals on this podcast. I mean, there's going to be potentially some lawsuits about oh no doubt Dibley's no doubt placement on the A team. And there's somebody who was put on the B team back in 1982. Yeah, and we're now we're going 41 years later. I don't know what the statute of limitations, the trajectory of that life, changed. right? Exactly. Wow. wow. Uh, okay, so uh, A team. We'll put that in in you know quotes, please. Um, <laughs> And then I made a mistake, Dan. Oh, boy, embarrassing. This is, this is painful for me to talk about. It should be. Um, not quite as painful as not correctly making the A-team, but painful nonetheless. <laughs> nonetheless. I referred to you as a Drake grad in yeah. a pri prior podcast. Multiple I podcasts, yes. I heard. Uh, so you can forgive me because both of your brothers went to Drake. And my sister. Okay. Hurricane so, Gale. So <laughs> Hurricane Gale. Although she was uh, kindly asked to leave after a uh, punch thrown her sophomore year. Wow. That's a story for another pod. <laughs> this could be a five-hour podcast. It could be. So anyway, fans, Dan Dibley is a proud graduate of Marin Catholic. Yes. I apologize. Amen for the correction. Talk about your time at Marin Catholic. Well, I, I moved back to Petaluma for my first two years, and I went to Casa Grande, a.k.a. the big house. Okay. And uh, my grandpa Dan, who lived in Fairfax, passed away, so we were moving back home, and I asked my parents if I could go to Marin Catholic. I went to St. Rita's as an eighth grader, yeah. hoping to go to Marin Catholic. We moved to Petaluma. We moved back. Okay. And so I had a chance to finally go to Marin Catholic. And I just wanted to have an opportunity to not be little Dibley yeah. for once. Well, because, to blaze your own trail. Right. Both my brothers and my sister were well-known, and they had blazed quite a trail. Yeah. It was like a five-lane highway of <laughs> legacy and reputation. Right. And so I wanted to kind of go my own way. And so... I went to Marin Catholic and it turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Great. 
at the time, Marine Catholic's tuition, $2,000. Okay. It's gone up a a touch. It's gone up a little bit. Gone up about 10x, I'm told. Maybe 15x. That's about right. Yeah. And uh, it was great. I found a community. I found lifetime friends. And I was able to kind of, you know, carve my own way and, you know, do some some PA announcing and playing tennis and cross country. And, you know, it, it turned out to be a great move for me. Okay. Basketball? Uh, at Marine it, Catholic? Yeah, I tried out. Okay. I tried out as a junior. And knowing exactly where I was, I tried out for the JV team. Okay. Let me click back a couple of years to Casa Grande. I played freshman ball. I was the 12th man on a 12-man team. Okay. And I would sit at the end of the bench, and we were good. We won the SCL that year, Sonoma County League. And so we'd yeah. be up 17 against Annalee. We'd be up 19 against Piner. We had Montgomery by the yeah. short hairs, and I would... I would lean forward. Could have put me I'd, in, Coach? <laughs> I would look at Coach Walker, and I'd give him the look. And finally, he'd look down with 51 seconds to go, <laughs> and he'd put the finger up. In comes the dibber. Nice. I scored one basket that year. Three points. I hit I hit a uh, – there was no threes back then. I hit like a 21-footer top of the key. Wow. Banked it in. Okay, you called it, though. And uh, I sure. think I was one of two from the line, three points. So the next year, our freshman coach takes the JV. And all of my teammates go up to JV. So I try out for the JV team. And uh, he made one cut. One cut. Your boy. It was, it was our friend Dan. I mean, and I, I still to this day, and Coach Walker, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, still, I hold a grudge. Yeah. He had no, there was no reason to cut me. Freshman year, we practiced at 6 a.m. I was never late. Yeah. I showed up to every practice. I ran every line. And as I mentioned before, I wasn't highly skilled. Mm-hmm. And as a freshman, I was four foot ten and a half. Okay. So I wasn't impactful. But I showed up. There was no need to cut me. He cuts me. So we, I transferred to Marine Catholic junior year, and I'm thinking, I'm going to try out for JV. I know that I'm not a varsity player. Yeah. I try out for JV, and I get cut. So at this point, I'm like, all right, this is... Time for broadcasting. Time for broadcasting. And at this point, I'm five three and a half, and I'm thinking... They're going to keep me on JV. I'm a junior. You don't right. cut a junior. Right. But I got cut. And, uh, you know, that was not the end of my basketball journey, though. Who was who was the varsity coach at MC at that time? Do you that remember? was uh, Andy Izetta. Okay, yeah. 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 And his brother, Bill, was our principal. Right. And right. Coach Izetta was a nice guy. And our varsity was terrible. I mean, they Drake, were talentless. Drake was good those years, right? Was Drake was... Pr- yeah, oh, yeah. Drake was good. That was the uh, Mike Hayward. Yes. And, uh, you know, we can talk Mike Hayward when we get yeah. to the Pirate Camp portion. Yes. And uh, Ned Freeman and Reed Nottingham, they were juniors. Awesome. D.Y., Dylan Arroyo. Uh, they were really good. Oh, yeah, Dylan. Yeah. Really good. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so Dibs graduates from Marin Catholic and then College of Marin. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, so good experience at College of Marin? Great. Yeah, I actually, academically, I kind of got my house in order. Great. Because leaving Marin Catholic with a 2.4... And uh, an SAT of, <laughs> I didn't really have a lot of options. Right. So I went to College of Marin and played tennis. And tennis had become my sport. I actually okay. got to be pretty good at tennis. And two years there, I played for John Panagakis. Oh, yeah. Legend. Sure. Absolute Marin legend. And I know you guys talked about Al Endress before. Yes. Uh, John Panagakis is of the same ilk, same era. Absolutely. And I think, in the, you know, in the same echelon in terms of Marin coaching legend, so I had a great time at College of Marin, and then I transferred to Cal State Northridge. Where you said you spent five lovely years. Five lovely junior years. Five so junior I transferred years. in as a junior, stayed there for five years, and I left. 
As okay. a junior. Okay, you left as a yes. junior. We I did not... Entered as a junior, left as a junior. We haven't received our diploma yet for, at this point. At this juncture, From Northridge. Yeah. I did, however, join a fraternity, and uh, I ran the intramural program. So, okay. And I also did a lot of broadcasting. I did play-by-play for the baseball team and the basketball team, and a little bit of the football team until the program became extinct. Okay. But what I really... And I also covered the... Uh, the Rodney King trial in Simi Valley. So that wow. was about the same time. Oh, that's interesting. And I was actually broadcasting a baseball game at Jackie Robinson Stadium, UCLA. Yes. And I'm looking out from the press box and you can see, see the, smoke. the smoke come up oh, man. from South Central. So yeah. it's one of those like never forget where never you were. forget where you were kind of moments and that was, you know, toward the tail end of my career. Yeah. But you weren't there for the big earthquake, were you in North? No. Actually, I'm 0 for 2 on big earthquakes because the 89 quake here, yeah. I was in Northridge. Oh, and then you and were then back up the here? The Northridge quake in 93, I 93, think. 93, 94, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I had already come back up here to uh, be a PE8 at Ross. Okay, well, that, that's perfect segue. That's so, what we do here. So we, we, we spend a bunch of junior years at Northridge. Only five of them. Only five. Uh, you then come back, you're at Ross School, you're a PE8. And then you go back to school as well yourself, right? Didn't you go to right. SF State? Yeah. Okay. So during that time, I was a basketball coach at Santa Fe High. I was coaching club volleyball, and I was working as a PE aide in Ross. And I also was going to school at SF State. And at the same time, I got an opportunity to audition for a movie called Flubber, which Robin Williams. is a whole other story in and of itself. We're, you know what? We're going to come back to this because I've got, we're going to have a section of this, Dibs, where we talk about your coaching career. Okay. Because I heard you you might have had more losses than wins. I, that's what I've heard, but we're going to In talk. In basketball. We're going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, and I know it's a basketball podcast. Yes. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Please. We, you, we'll let you talk about other sports briefly. Uh, and then we are definitely going to touch on the flubber situation. It's a basketball movie, so it fits. A, a, totally. And, and Robin Williams. Um, okay, so SF State. You then graduate dibs as a 30-year-old, you told me? Correct, yeah. Okay, so now we're moving on, and now what are we doing with our lives? Well, we're trying to transition from being a PE aide. So I left that job right before I graduated, and I started to put behind the coaching aspect of my Marin life. I had moved to the city, yeah. so I was trying to kind of uh, cut the Marin ties a little bit. Living in the city... Graduated from SF State, and I started broadcasting, doing traffic, and working as a sidekick on a Christian radio station, uh, doing traffic. Okay. Jesus loves you on Highway 280, that, that kind of thing, you know. Okay. God help you on Highway 85. <laughs> That's sort of, a, of an angle. And, you know, the broadcasting slowly kind of builds, and it starts to take off. And I still kept my toe in coaching yeah. in Marin, but for the most part... I discovered that broadcasting was going to be the way I was going to go. Okay. And then how did you get to, I mean, the big break for you, was that KMBR? Was that the, the big right. break? The okay. big break was So KMBR. what year was that? That was 2006. Okay. Yeah. There was a guy who was working at KMBR who made a mistake and he lost his job. Not only did he lose his job, but his boss, who was not pro-Dibley, he also lost his job. So when that happened, okay. the guy who took over the reins of that station was somebody who did like me. 
So then I get a, a chance in 2006 to yep. be on the KNBR morning show and work middays with Gary Radnich. And wow. that's kind of when, as a 37-year-old 30, late bloomer, yeah. that's when I really was able to kind of elevate my career. Awesome. And so you're at KNBR for, what, five, six years? Yep. And then 95-7, the game starts in yeah. 2011, 2010? 2011. 2011. Good call. And you, you were there. I remember you were there from the beginning, From right? day one. From day one. And you've yeah. been there ever since. For the most part. There was a 51-week period where I had an, an un, unpaid uh, time off. Okay. Where March 11th, 2014, uh, we go in for a meeting and the boss says, close the door. And you never want to have the close the Those door meeting. Good. And then, you know, we get shown the door. And uh, instead of flipping the desk and middle yep. fingering my way out of the door... Shook hands with everybody. Classy. Thanked the people that I needed to thank. Smart. Quietly packed my things and left. And then 51 weeks later, I was rehired and I've been there ever since. And this is a fickle industry. Very. It changes a lot. And your role, I mean, I've I've listened to you. I've tracked you over the years. We're old friends. I've got some great stories about you from way back in the day. But your role has changed, right? You've gone from, you're in the mornings, you go right. to the drive time in the afternoon. So how do you manage that uncertainty? Well, it just, uncertainty is the business. It's kind of like being a college or pro basketball coach where right. when you're winning, there's more certainty. And, you know, high school is a little bit different because, yeah. you know, a fickle parent group can cost you your job For sure. or, you know, you can fail, but be a good guy and, you know, and have right. security. Right. It's more about, being a college or a pro coach in that you're successful, you're going to stay and you're going to be rewarded and yeah. everything's good. But when things go bad and for us, it's ratings when the ratings are bad, then it's time to worry. And, you know, I lost my job in 2014 yeah. and I actually was working for one Oh seven, seven, the bone in 2003 on the morning show. And that show was terrible. And yeah, we lost, you know, I lost my job then when my ex-wife was pregnant with our second child. Wow. And that's that's real uncertainty. Who was that morning show? 107? It was Bob Coburn. Rest okay. in peace. And you probably don't even remember. It was before Lamont and Tonelli. Oh, yeah. Well, that was what I was thinking of. Was so thinking just of a quick vignette about that. And yeah. I know it's a basketball podcast and we'll get to it shortly. Yeah. But as I'm, so I'm getting fired and I'm walking to the elevator with my box of stuff and I hear in the distance, the entire company is together in the conference room and they say, ladies and gentlemen, Lamont and Tonelli. And you hear this roar go up as the elevator doors are closing Wow! and I'm on my way out. Wow. And they've been there now for 21 years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which, yeah. But it, it is a fickle business to your yeah. point. So in addition to your, I just want to close up, believe it or not, we're still on your bio uh, intro, Dan. Um, Take your time. Close up your background. So, radio career since 25 years, but then you also moonlight as a sideline reporter, play-by-play -play broadcaster for a number of sports, yeah. right? The earthquakes, um, yeah. soccer. What, what else have you done? You've done baseball. San Jose Sabercats, arena football. Arena football. Now defunct. Yep. Uh, I was the on-field host for the San Jose Stealth indoor lacrosse. I did San Jose Giants, Stockton Ports baseball. Great. And the thing that I'm probably most proud of is my time doing high school sports. And I know you just had Rick Winter on. Yeah. And 
the Rick Winter was involved in one of my all-time favorite contests I've ever broadcasted. Mm. It was a Drake Marine Catholic game uh, at the Pit Marine Catholic, the of course, gym I'm, formerly known as the Pit. I'm, I'm familiar. And uh, it's the game in which uh, Alex Pribble took an inbound pass, dribbled through three Wildcats, and scored at the buzzer after a very uh, ignominious non-call Ooh. by the great Larry Moyer, rest in oh, peace. Oh, Daryl, Daryl Rory talked about Larry Yeah, Moyer. and I heard that from, uh, yeah. from D. But, by the uh, way, Pribble's going to be one of our guests. He's coming on with us in a couple of weeks. Alex Pribble, legendary Drake player, played at yes. Cal, Division One coach at Idaho. One of the few players that got away, because I tried to recruit him for my Drake volleyball team, but he was steadfast about working on his basketball game in the spring. It's paid off. It yes. has paid off. And I... I told him at the time, I said, you better become something if you're going to say no to the dibber. Third person. <laughs> say yeah. no to the, can't say no to the dibber. Um, okay, I wanted to ask a few broadcasting questions, even though we, we've hit on it a little bit already, but who are your influences growing up? Like, who, who are the, the broadcasters who you loved? Uh, it was Howard Cosell. And again, for you kids, you're going to have to Google it because Howard's been gone a long time, but he was a former lawyer, and his whole thing was, I'm going to tell it like it is. And when I was a kid, and Icon. I guess when you were a kid as well, totally, uh, there wasn't ESPN, and your television options were limited to about six channels. Yep. And so Monday Night Football was an actual thing where every Monday night you got to watch a football game. You didn't have every game on. There was no Red Zone Channel. There was no right. Amazon, you know, Amazon Plus or Amazon Prime. You got maybe a game or two on a Sunday if you were lucky. And then you got the Monday night game. So so you can speak to this much better than I can, Dibs. But, I mean, you think about really popular shows that are on now that everybody's watching. You maybe get, I, I, I'm dumb about this stuff. You maybe get a couple million people watching right. the show, right? Because there are 750 channels. There are 29 streaming services. Yeah. There are 38 million podcasts. None as good as this one, obviously. But so everybody's got so much, there's so much content. So what you're talking about, when we were growing up, there were three channels. Right. <laughs> or, right. you know, 10 channels, three of them that were live. And there was one football game on. So Monday Night Football, the ratings, like you, would, you wouldn't have a couple million people. You'd have 40 million people maybe. Right, half I, the country basically. Right. I mean, so just a staggering number of people. So it, it really shaped the culture. Right. And he was the play-by-play announcer yeah. for ABC's Monday Night Football and just the way, he, the way he talked and he did all the big fights and all that. So yep. he was... Probably my earliest influence as an adult, my mentor is a gentleman named Barry Tompkins. And it just, we talk about serendipity, which is kind of the confluence of luck and happenstance. It's where luck and happenstance come together. Yeah. I'm working at Ross and I'm doing a program called Fun with Dan, which is an after school program for three and four year olds. I'm doing soccer and baseball, t ball. And other like little tot programs. And yeah. one day, this man comes up with his then three-year-old, Ryan. And I, I know exactly who he is right away. Of course. It's Barry Tompkins. He's great reporter. Broadcaster. Play play. Does basketball play-by-play. He's by in play. Rocky Four. Absolutely. He's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. So I was able to strike up a friendship with Barry. And this is in the mid to late 90s before I had graduated, before I had really started on my journey. And Barry was able to help me, guide me. And kind of, you know, coax me toward where I needed to be. Amazing. Dibs, I didn't show you the, the 
the questions beforehand, but right. I literally have a question near the end of other Marin broadcasters, and I wrote, are there other notable Marin sportscasters? Barry Tompkins, question mark? Really? Okay. Right, right there. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Because so, just... he's, he's, I love him. He did a lot of boxing too, right? Yes. Has done boxing. Yeah, forever. Yeah. And married to Joan Ryan, one of the great writers great and columnists writer. of, uh, you know, SF Chronicle fame and yeah yeah, and Barry's still working he and Dan Balwamini a great tandem but it just so happened that I met him through my other job in my other life and it turned out to be huge for me so when you're um when you're broadcasting a an event like a high school game I remember watching you hearing you uh do the MCAL games when they used to have those on what was that public access yeah I don't know um, so like for this interview, like I said, you didn't want the questions beforehand. You're amazing just off the cuff. So when you're getting ready to announce a game, do you do a lot of prep beforehand or do you want to just kind of go in cold and observe? Like how do you, how yeah. do you prep for a game and then how do you prep for your show as well? I mean, you need a lot of prep for both, but for games, especially high school games, you need to figure out, you know, who the players are. Yeah. And ideally, you'd be able to talk to the coach of each team. Okay. And, you know, if you can watch a practice, that's great. If you can watch a game before, that's also great. You need to know what you're going to face yeah. going in. Does the team press or do they not press? Do they run a lot of zone? Do they run man? What are their actions on offense? Is it yeah. a lot of screen roll? Who shoots the three? You know, how deep is their bench and all the rest of it. So, so even as a broadcaster, you want to know all this stuff. Absolutely. It sounds like you're a coach getting ready for a, for a game. Right. It's very much the same because yeah. you don't want to be caught off guard and, you know, yeah. hey, n- number 21, is who, you know. <laughs> who is this guy? Right. Yeah, right. And it's like, no, this, this always the sixth man or whenever yeah, the, exactly. the player to come in. And for me, it was great because growing up in Marin, and doing a lot of the Marin games, I knew many of the coaches already. So there was that comfortability right. going into it. I've known Doug Donnellan. He actually was my boss at uh, the Fairfax Theater. Okay. One of the five people who have fired me, by the way. That's Again, we, we may need to extend this <laughs> podcast. Part but two. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was supposed to change the marquee of the Fairfax Theater from Gremlins to <laughs> the Muppets Take Manhattan. Wow. And it's a driving range. And I basically said to Doug Donnell, and I said, I'm, I'm going to clean it up here for the yeah. kids. I'm not going to be changing the marquee, Doug. And there's basically nothing you can do about it. He was the assistant manager at the time. And I happened to have a, a friend who was close friends with his boss. Mm-hmm. I thought I was untouchable. You thought you were, you were covered. So the next day I come to go to work and the manager goes, what did you say to Doug? And I said, well, I informed him that I would not be changing the marquee in these weather conditions. And she said, you're fired. So, anyway, Doug Donnellan, coaching. I knew Doug, and uh, actually Doug played a big role in my time at Drake as a volleyball coach. Oh, great. Yeah. Great. Um, I'm just still hung up on, you know, moving from Gremlins to Muffins Take Manhattan. It's a lot of letters in the Muppets Take Manhattan. That's a tough, that's a tough one. And, you know, when you talk about Manhattan, is it two T's and two N's? <laughs> is it, you know, and there's no spell, there's no internet back then, so you had to go to the dictionary. I yeah. wasn't doing it in the driving rain. Gremlins was an underrated movie, Dan. I love the Gremlins. Gremlins is great. Gremlins was great. Yeah, last movie um, I ever saw there, for obvious <laughs> reasons. For obvious reasons. Thank Too you. painful for you. Um, all right, let's talk about. I want. I want to go back to um, 
kind of the, the early 80s and growing up in, in Marin for you. So we talked about growing up in, in Fairfax, the Fultons and the Dibleys. Your brother, Doug, played on the legendary 82 team, the Drake team that we've talked about a lot. Uh, I mentioned him in another podcast because I feel like he hasn't gotten as much airtime as he should have because he was a great player. I believe he started on that team, yeah. did he not? Yes, he did. Um, so talk about that team and your perspective. So you're a 13, 14-year-old around that time, right? Eighth grader. Eighth grader. Playing, yeah. on it, playing A, controversially. Finally. Playing, playing yeah. A. Um, <laughs> so talk about your memory of that 82 Drake team. Well, it it was uh, very deep for me, and those are core memories. Yeah. And it all kind of stems from my days in pirate camp because as a kid, I went to every single pirate camp because my mom worked at Drake. So pirate camp was my daycare. I was babysitting for Basically, for yeah. Even yeah. though I wasn't a great player, I went to every single session, yeah. and I got to know every coach. I played for Mike Fulton. I played for Steve Lavin, for Cap Lavin, for Jimmy Saya, yeah. Denise Daniels, yeah. who she was a great player at Drake. And I became very good friends, summer friends, with a guy named Mike Hayward, Pete's son. Yes. And so Mike and I became the Mutton Jeff of Pirate Camp. He was, you know, he's six, six one. Yeah. He, so As an eighth I, grader, he's six one okay. and I'm four seven. And not that he's shy, but I was basically like his hype man, his mouthpiece. <laughs> right. He was Chuck D and I was Flavor Flav. Right. So we would just roll around pirate camp and I'm running material. And he, you know, <laughs> he was a legitimate player at the time. And so because we were really good friends yeah. and his father was the coach of the team and my brother was on the team, I somehow was able to assimilate myself to be somewhat of a ball boy. Okay. Now they had a team manager. I think it was Warren Anderson was his name. He was a high school student and he was the team manager. Okay. On the bench, it was Pete Hayward. I think he had an assistant coach. It might have been, might have been Mike Sia at the time. I can't remember. Hmm. But there was Warren Anderson. Then there was Mike Hayward, Pete's eighth grade son. Yep. And then me. A lot of times at Drake, I was sitting almost underneath the scorer's table. Wow. But I was on the bench. Yeah. I was on the bench at every game. I had my own scorebook. So I would keep score, and when Pete, like somebody would get in foul trouble, yeah. Pete would look down to the, to the official score, and I would, I would hold up the number, and I was never wrong because yeah. I was keeping score. Yeah. I don't know how I got away with being on the bench, but I was on the bench. And if you look at a lot of the photos and really cool. the videos of this team, yeah. I mean, I was a part of the fabric. So for me, the 82 state championship team – is as much a part of my life as it is Jimmy Sia, Steve Lavin, Doug Dibley, and all the rest of them. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it with Fulton, about that team scoring you know, in the 70s and 80s before the three-point line yeah. at a time where you know, that, that was unheard of, right? Just the, the amount of talent on that team and skill, that must have been fun for you to... Yeah, watch. super fun. And if you took the second team and just you know took them and put them at whatever high school, they'd be they're a playoff team, right? They might. I don't know if they'd be the second best team. Yeah, but they would be a force to be reckoned with. You had James Tolbert, six foot six, big, yeah. coming off the bench. You had Steve Lavin, Lav, yeah. who was a six man. Mike Davidson, who was a good little point guard. Yeah. And, you know, you could run down the list. Mitchell Pierce was a freshman. Oh, great player. And he turned out, and I heard you guys mention uh, Mike Delosio earlier. Yeah. He's another guy who would come through the program and be yep. equally good. It was a team that was stacked 1 through 15. 
And for me, as an eighth grade ball boy, to just be around that level of greatness and see him come out and they would come out to Michael Jackson yeah. and, uh, you know, off the wall. Yeah. And they would do the Drake circle drill that became, yep. you know, iconic. Iconic. Totally. In, the, in those green warm ups. And, uh, yeah. you know, they would come out and you pretty much knew they were going to win. But just watching the poetry of that team, Chris Fulton shooting the long twos yep. and Steve Kenilvort who could do it all and Dan Hunt and just his efficiency as a big and Jimmy Sia, the quintessential point yeah. guard and my brother who was basically doing the dirty work. Yeah. I mean, he he wasn't really a guy to shoot much, but he would guard the other team's best guard. He would take charges, he would rebound, and he would do all the little things that needed to be done. And those names that you mentioned, uh, you know, Chris Fulton, Kenilvort, Hunt, and then there's DeVore, right? Those Another guys, guy coming off the bench. Those guys all played D1 and played pro. Right. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even get to Doug DeVore. Yeah. And at the time, he was a little bit of a... I mean, Gangley's probably a little bit of a misnomer, but he was not... He was not a guy who was in there making a huge impact right. on that team. And Pete, he ran a pretty tight ship. Yes. And he didn't go deep in the bench in close right. games. You know, he might get to a seventh or eighth player, but he didn't go much deeper than that until you got yeah. into garbage time. Right. And so at the same time, were you going to the to the Drake outdoor courts? Not quite yet. Okay. Yeah. This was I was an eighth grader at this time. My time in the Drake Outdoor Courts came when I went to College of Marin. Okay. And that's when I really became the basketball player that I would eventually be, which is to say, you know, king of the B court and getting A court crumbs. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I credit Buck Chavez for a lot of it. And I know we have to have a Buck Chavez reference in go. every podcast. There we but go. Let's do it. Buck would allow me, not allow me, but he would pick me on his team. Because, you know, you'd go out to Drake, and it would be, if you were there for the first run, you shoot for it. And yeah. if you make it, you get to be in that first game. And that would be my best chance to play on the A court. Because okay. I was not necessarily an A court player. Right. So if I didn't make the opening game, if Buck would show up, and, you know, he was feeling confident with who else he had, he'd have me play on his team. Right. And that's how I got a lot better, was going there, not only on the weekends, but... During the week as well. You know, 4.30 on a Tuesday, there'd be a run. Or, you know, 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, you could get a run. And because I was going to College of Marin, right. I was there probably four or five days a week. That's awesome. Just playing. Yeah. You know? I miss those days, man. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, when, um, when the Drake Outdoor Courts first, like, were at their peak, I mean, do you remember seeing some unbelievable players down there? Always, yeah. And it was, you know, those were the times where I would be on the B court, and right. occasionally there'd be three courts. Yeah. To where, you know, if, if you didn't feel like waiting for, you know, the court on the right, because as you would walk in, yeah, it, the court on the left was, you know, the court, and then the other court would be kind of the spillover. Sure. And at times there'd be a two or three game wait. Right. You know, for, for both courts. So the competitiveness and the level of play. And, well, as Mike Sia you know, said, that's when you kind of learn to, okay, um, even if that wasn't a foul, it was a foul, right? I mean, you, you, you didn't yeah. say cheat, but you, you learned to, I mean, sort of the Magic Johnson, the famous Magic Johnson stories, right? Playing pick up at Poly Pavilion where either Magic scores or he got fouled. Right. 
you know, if you're playing to, I think we played a 12 back then. Yeah. And if it's, you know, 10-9 or 10-10, there's going to be fouls. There's going to be but foul calls. At yeah. the same time, I don't remember too many instances where things devolved into the kind of shouting match or game-wrecking arguments that would right. completely derail the afternoon. You know, usually there was resolution. There was a pecking order in terms of, right. you know, if somebody would speak. And if Eddie Joe was out there, and, you know, all due respect to Buck, but... Eddie carried that extra level of gravitas because he wouldn't play out there a lot. But, you know, Buck and Pat Sandal and, you know, Steve Spencer, and you you could run through, we've run through all the litany of names. And it it was incredible. That's so cool. I just love that era. Um, All right, Dibs, let's talk about your illustrious coaching career. Oh, God. Okay, so you, I have been told by you, that you coached the worst team in Marin history in any sport. I believe I said basketball history. <laughs> okay. But uh, I was coaching at Santa Fe. Okay. I was coaching volleyball. And so I got to know Mark Carlson, Great guy. a.k.a. Clutch. Great guy. Yep. He was the varsity girls basketball coach at the time. Current and PA announcer for Branson, also the Branson freshman boys coach. Yeah. He's at College of Marin all the time. He's been a PA announcer for Dominican. Great, great, great guy. Good coach, better guy. Yes. Is the way I'll say it. So he's got a program that he's trying to run. And San Rafael at the time was not... This is in the post-Katie Christensen era. Yep. So things had kind of you know, gone down a little bit in terms of overall caliber. The JV coach, whose name I have never known, he's coaching this team and he quits. They're 0-9 and he just quits. And the way he quits is it's a phone call. I'm done showing up. I'm out. So, and this is probably, if you're 0-9, this is right about the Christmas holiday. Okay. Because you're getting into MCALs, and you only get 26 touches and whatever. So, Clutch calls me and says, I'm desperate. I need somebody. Will you help me out? And I said, sure, Mark. I'll do it, you know. Mm -hmm. At the time, I probably had eight jobs, and I'm thinking about the check, which is probably 1800 bucks or something. (laughs) Right, Right. And I'm thinking, two months of work, I'll do it. I take this team, and I mean, Wow. I've never, I've never seen or imagined a worse collection of basketball players in my life. The point guard, and I will leave everyone's name out of it because these are all women now. Yes. We're going back to 90, 1996. And I'm sure or, they're all listeners. I'm sure. Point guard, four foot ten and a half. She's a gymnast. Flies. Yeah. But doesn't understand the, the jump stop. Okay. So you get her the ball and she'll Dribble, 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 head down. And then when she decides it's time to stop dribbling, it's about 17 steps. Yeah. It's a travel. Okay. Um, small forward, double knee surgery, survivor. Uh, my two other guards were twins, one of whom was prone to the flagrant foul. Oh. And I'm talking like throwing punches. Oh, wow. Like okay. she would just out and out and out punch a girl in the stomach. Uh, another, we had a backup guard who wasn't very talented. My center was a six-foot supermodel who uh, couldn't catch a cold at a, uh, at a wet market in Shuzhang. That's material for you. But she would average about five block shots a game because she was tall and long and she would swat everyone. So we would, i take this team over and we lose 51 to five. We lose 57 to eight. And so after about three or four games, what I realized was we needed to approach things differently. Mm-hmm. So in my pregame speech, I would say, girls, ladies, yeah. let's be fair. We're not going to win this game. You know it. I know it. 
Right. Everybody knows it. So let's figure out how we can make this a positive experience. So we started to goal set. Okay. And our number one goal every game was double digits. Let's get to double digits. Wow. And then as we would go through, one of our goals would be run the play once. Just once. And the play was like pass and screen away right. and see if we can hit the cutter coming through to a foul line jumper. Okay. Jumper. Yeah. I mean, let's see if we can run it once. And so our goals were really rudimentary. We go through the MCAL and we're losing by 45, 50, 55 every night. Mm -hmm. So we get to the second round and I put up a new goal, which was ITM, improve the margin. Okay. So I would say, all right, we got Marine Catholic tonight. They beat us 58 to 7 last time. Let's see if we can lose by less than 51. So we're playing Novato. First time they beat us 65 to 8. So, I, hey, improve the margin. Let's lose by less than 57. Yeah. We're at Novato. And we're down like 54 to 5. And we get the ball back. So and close. I call timeout. Yeah, this is a big one. I call timeout with about 41 seconds left. And the Novato parents are all jeering me. And so I step out of the huddle and it's, you know, I'm four letter, four letters, bombs here and there. We just we devise a play. Yep. We run it. Obviously, we don't run it because we're terrible. <laughs> we score. It's an and one. We hit the free throw and we're going crazy. We're now 54 to eight at this point. And these parents are looking at us like we're crazy. And I'm like in tears Improving on the, the sideline. We lost by 56. We lose by 57. We lost by 56. So that experience, we went 0-26. Okay. That experience taught me more about coaching than I had ever learned before in terms of what we're all trying to do. You know, you're trying to, to do the little things. And for us, the little things were jump stop. And these, this is JV. I shouldn't be worried about, like, this is a pivot. Right. And this is a jump stop. And how do we throw a chess pass and right. all the rest of it. But I learned more about coaching that year than I had any other year. That's awesome. Uh, I was killed my overall winning percentage, by the way. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, yeah, I was cracking up as you were telling that whole story. But the idea of these quantifiable little goals, um, I think, is such a powerful coaching tool. I say this all the time to to my teams. Like I was coaching, you know, NBBA this fall, and we were down by thirty going to the fourth quarter. Like, right, let's win the fourth quarter, right? You know, or let's win the first five minutes, right? Just little quantifiable things, baby steps achievable goals, right? And also the idea of don't try and attack a problem holistically, just break it up into parts, right? The Navy SEALs have this thing, like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. Right, just little steps. That's how you get through it, right? And so that's 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 a great story. Um, you know, I'm sorry that you were 0-26. That couldn't have been fun. No. Great, I, great experience. Great experience and... Uh... I've never received such great gifts at a team party as I did. The parents, then uh, they saw the effort that I gave and the effort that the young ladies gave. And it's great. You know, to their point, they never, they never quit on me. I had ten at the beginning and I had ten at the end. And awesome. It had to be harder on them than it was on me because, yeah. I mean, there was never a chance that we would win a game until the finale. We're playing San Marin, and they were the second worst team in the league. Okay. And I looked at the ref assignment, and it was a former coworker of mine, Scott Elliott. Hmm. He was the custodian at Ross School. So I go to Scott that day, and I say, Scott, anything you can do, buddy. Wow. Anything you can do. We shot 144 free throws that day. <laughs> it was a four-hour game. They breathed on you, and you guys get the call? I got every call. You want to talk about getting a call? 
I think we scored 27 points that game. We lost by 15 or so. I was going to say, you probably shot like 10% from the line, though, right? We, I think we were 11 for 114 from the line. <laughs> there, there you go. Um, all right. I have in my notes, Dibs, Drake Volleyball hyphen Michelle Bravelli bullying. Can you talk about this? I would love to. Okay, Because please. she came on and talked about how she started the boys' volleyball program at Drake. Yes. And she did. Mm-hmm. And 1999 was the year, and they were winless. And I was just going about my business, finally graduated college, mm-hmm. making my way in broadcasting, actually not coaching for the first time. I had just given up the San Rafael volleyball program. I coached the girls for four years. I'm a free agent. Michelle Bravelli comes to me and says, yeah, I got this boys team at Drake. I need you to coach it. And I'm like, Michelle, I'm, I'm done. I'm trying to be a broadcaster. And she's like, well, I, I can't do it anymore because she was you know, moving on to Branson and she yeah. was moving on to do AD things. I've known Michelle since I refereed her games back in CYO. Yeah. She basically used peer pressure. Uh, I felt bullied. I felt threatened. You okay? I'm still getting over okay. it. Okay. It's just funny because she basically, she pressured me into it, even though she knew and I knew I can't help it. I got a coach. Yes. And I'd never coached at Drake. I was born in a Drake family. I grew up in Drake. Yeah. So she played on my emotions, and so I take over this team, and we go 4-20 and 20 my first year, but I see some signs. Nice. I see signs. And I had a senior named Shannon Levinson, and that first year, he basically, you want to talk about bullying, he told his younger brother Josh and all his freshman basketball buddies, you're playing volleyball or else. Wow. Because Shannon didn't want to have a year like he did his junior year where they won zero games. Okay. So I take over the team. Shannon's a senior, and I've got this group of eight freshmen. Yeah. It's Shannon, <clears throat> this kid, Tahan, who would go on to be player of the year. Nick Hawley, six foot seven, big county. He would be an all-league player. And I got these eight freshmen. And so we scuffled. Did you come up with year. that nickname? Did you come up with no, they all ki- the, the kids came up That's with what, it. There used to be a guy in the NBA named Big Country. Which, exactly. Which was Brian fantastic. Reeves. So Fan- this was Big County. Fantastic nickname. And Big County's still coaching volleyball. So we go from 4-20 and 20 to four straight NCS appearances. We nice. won three straight in 2 3 and 4 And the dynasty was built on the backs of Michelle Smith, Nee Bravelli. Bullying you. And her blatant bullying. Just... And I know she's a listener, and Michelle, you're probably smiling and nodding in your office in Nevada. We both know how that went down. <laughs> okay, Michelle, we might give you a chance to retort. Um, that's awesome. So do you, do you miss coaching? I do and I don't. Yeah. I do. I miss the winning and the losing because yeah. in life, like I broadcast. I do a radio show. It's me and my co-host in a box for four hours. Yeah. It's not very visceral. You feel like you have a good show. There's good shows. There's bad shows. Yeah. When you're coaching, when you're competing, there's wins and losses. Duffy has walked in. Just I as we're talking it. about wins and losses. Winning, yeah. Great timing. Winning Duffy. Time. Yes. Duffy, what's up? The I don't know. How's it going, guys? We're, uh, we're, t- we're talking through Dibs is a uh, coaching. We're, we're finishing up his coaching career. The, yeah. the wins and losses. So, yeah, the, the idea of, of competition. I miss that. I, get I miss it. being able to bring a team, and I most recently coached at Bishop O'Dowd. I started the boys' volleyball cr- program Great. at O'Dowd. Thank you, sir. The old O'Dowd athletic director is a friend of mine, and I told him about 12 years ago, I said, if you ever start a boys' volleyball program, yeah. give me the first right of refusal. 
So back in 2019, he says, we're starting a program. And I said, I'll take it. So I went from no program to 30 kids in two years. I had a varsity, I had a JV and the pandemic hit. And, you know, my personal life was going in a certain direction that I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And so I've stepped away. But I do miss, I miss coaching on game day. So are you going to ask me what I don't miss? Yes. Because the list is much longer. Yes, go ahead. I don't miss uh, parent phone calls and emails. Yep. I don't miss uh, 48 hours of training. And, you know, first aid and CPR is critical. <laughs> but the uh, all of the other tertiary right. and secondary trainings that we have to do, uh, including learning how to use the AED, yes. which is great, the three-hour online concussion protocol training, and all of the red tape and the rigmarole is something that I don't miss. Duffy has an item. I love it. You know how you get out of those? Talk to me, Duff. You go to medical school. And then you go and become an emergency medicine physician. And then you can say to the school, does my job count? I love it. Guess what? They almost said no. (laughs) (laughs) What if you're a know-it-all radio host? Can you you pretend that that actually counts? Uh, It's a shame. Well, that's that's great. I mean, one thing, so actually this bleeds into, um, I want to talk about your, your, go back to broadcasting. Because when you're talking about coaching, um, I mean, it's interesting. So you've coached basketball, you've coached volleyball, you've played you played tennis. Have you coached tennis? Uh, yeah, I did coach tennis. Coach As tennis. an 18-year-old, I coached the JV team at Marine Catholic. Okay. So, and then when you talk about your broadcasting career, you've called uh, soccer, indoor lacrosse, arena football, baseball, basketball. You've got range, Dibs. Yeah. Um, so your ability to... Uh, move among sports, both as a broadcaster and as a coach, I think that's a function of you're you're obviously witty, hilarious, intelligent, but you're just a real observer, right? I mean, you you watch things. So you're an eighth grader and you're on the bench at the Drake 82 games and you're tracking fouls. You're watching the game, right? Yes. And you're intently watching the game. And this is something that I've noticed kids these days. I sound like an old man on my soapbox, but... When kids watch sports, they don't actively watch it, I think, like we did back in the day, or not a lot of them do, right? I mean, do you, would you attribute, it's kind of a leading question, but would you attribute your success as a coach, or lack thereof, and, and broadcaster, to when you were a kid, you were an active observer of these sports? Yes, and it starts with, as we discussed previously, my time in the pavilion with Larry Fulton, and my father, Dwayne, who was a coach, and all these other role models and my brother Mike would go on to be my coach in Little League and so yeah. I played I always played sports. I was never great at sports, but I always played. And I played soccer for the Travel Bug in Fairfax. Uh, rest in peace, 1980. Back when nobody played soccer. Yeah. You just didn't play so- like nowadays everybody plays soccer. Right. Back then playing soccer was kind of, you know, totally out of the box. And yeah. so I've always played sports and I've always watched sports and I loved it. And being around the 82 team and being at the Coliseum and watching Pete Hayward, the way he coached, which he was very exacting and very demanding, but yeah. they were precise and they were elite. And you watch the way they went about it. And, you know, Mike Fulton was one of my early coaches. He actually was the first ever coach for whom I played a championship team. It was Pirate Camp. It was 19, had to be 1980. And we had a girl on our team. 
and this was before there was a, a separate girls camp. There were yeah. probably two or three girls in the camp in the whole camp. Right, I remember that. And days. I'm on Mike's team, and we're you know you get into pirate camp and you get later in the week and you have the bracket play, and I'm on the bench and he's starting this girl over me, and Mike Fulton is I've known Mike my entire life. He's like a brother to me, and I remember as like a 12 year old thinking, dude, you don't you don't sit me for this girl, and then I'm. I'm watching her play, and I'm like, she's better than me. And we go on to win Pirate Camp title. Sean McGuinn was unguardable that week. Uh, he was a force to be reckoned with. And I'll never forget Mike in that moment, him telling me, Danny, she's better than you, and you want to win, don't you? And I was like, yeah, Mike, I do want to win. <laughs> and he was right to do that. And uh, That's great. I think I got thrown out in the semis. I got a T for sure. But I want to say I got ejected. You know what? I think you were the emotional heartbeat of that team, and you were the reason they won it. I was an sure. emotional wreck, is what I was. <laughs> so I remember, I want to say one story when we're talking. So let's get back to your broadcasting career, because a few more questions on that. And then I know at some point, Dibs has to leave us to go, actually, to go to work to be on the radio today. But I remember sitting in the stands at the Drake Summer League um, as a high schooler, and uh, you were we were up in the back of the stands at Drake, and you would just, we're just watching a random summer league game. There were probably 10 people in the gym. And you just started announcing the game to us. You probably don't remember this, but you would just make up names. You would make up backgrounds. <laughs> um, and we were just dying laughing. And I mean, you know, at the time, if I had, if someone had asked me, what do you think this guy, meaning Dan, is going to do with his life? I'd say, well, he's going to be a stand-up comedian or he's going to be a broadcaster. So I think it was even in your blood back, yeah. back then. It absolutely was. And I credit my upbringing and, you know, the Fultons were a big part of it. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, one of Mike and Chris's teammates in minor leagues, a guy named Tony Waiter, now Damien Waiter, he just recently wrote a book called Adam's Realty. And it's, I think it's loosely based on reality, but it's partly based on this Adam's Realty Little League team from Fairfax Little League. Oh, cool. It was a minor league team. And if you look at the team picture, there's Mike and Chris Fulton, Tony Waiter, Larry Fulton, and front right is me. And I'll show you guys the picture. I have it on my phone. Awesome. I wasn't the bat boy for this team, yet I found my way into the team picture. <laughs> I'm not looking at the camera. I'm actually looking to the side. But I was everybody's bat boy in Little League. So I would go to Central Field in Fairfax at 9 a.m. in an ill-fitting shirt and just... I was the bat boy. I'd pick a team. A lot of times I bat boyed for the team that was playing against my brothers. Yeah. And I just was a fixture. And I would go up in the booth as a four-year-old and do public address. And it was just, it was accepted. And I'm the youngest of four. And that was always my comfort zone, trying to worm my way into being the center of attention. So, like broadcasting awesome. from the stands. And, yeah. you know, I remember doing, I was a scorekeeper for San Rafael Adult League when I was in high school and I would announce those games too, just to myself and, you know, running material yeah. and, you know, mean spirited commentary, whatever. Totally. But that was kind of always my, my comfort zone. I love it. I love it. So, um, 25 years doing radio, you've, you've interviewed everybody. I mean, I, it's impossible to, to cover all the questions I want to ask about that, but who are you, who've been your favorite kind of Bay area sports figures that you've interviewed, interviewed over the years? Well, I mean, Steph is first and foremost Stephen Curry, just because he is 
an even better guy than he is a basketball player. Yeah. And he just he treats everyone he treats everyone the same and he treats everyone with a certain level of respect that somebody in his place you know you don't have to if you're that good at your craft and you're that famous and that rich and that popular that good looking that everything you can you can have an ego and you can like you can treat anybody the way you want to treat him and get away with it right you're because, talking about duffy right well, about? I mean, Duff is you know close to that level. Obviously, I'm stricken by the handsomeness right now. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> you know, but... guys, thank you. I think yeah. it's nice. Uh, so no. <laughs> we had Steve Kerr on yesterday on our show, and you know we have him on every week. And the way he thoughtfully answers every question, yeah, and you know, no cliches, and just it's matter of fact. But he takes time to listen and actually answer in a forthright manner that's great and you know a lot of the athletes that you interview they treat it as a commitment and it's just you know how can i give this answer and be done with it but those are two guys who who spring to mind in terms of you know you look forward to interviewing them yeah because you know that they're going to listen to the question and give you at least a good answer a well thought out answer maybe not the total truth yeah because you can't always tell the truth in that spot but at least they're going to take the time to give you the answer, you know. Do you like interviewing coaches more than play- or, or players? It depends. I like interviewing the players, I think, if you can get them in the right spot. And my partner, Mark Willard, is really yeah. good at, you know, making it non-threatening. So we do, I think, a lot of good interviews. We don't try to hot take these athletes or we don't try to corner them. Right. We just want to get to know them and make them feel safe and comfortable and you know, it's kind of the show that we do, which I like that about our show. Yeah. It's especially nowadays where athletes can go straight to the consumer. They don't need us as much as they used to. I was, so, was going to ask just in general, how has the, I mean, the radio business has changed a lot, right? In the last 25 years, we talked about, you know, how TV has changed a lot, right? Whereas yeah. growing up, Howard Cosell and those kind of icons, right? It's, it's different. So with obviously with podcasting, with other forms of media, now, how, how, do you, how do you see the radio business going forward? It's, uh, I mean, everyone wants to say it's in trouble, but it's changed. Like, now we have a YouTube channel, which has become popular. Yep. We're on Twitch, and we podcast our episodes, yeah. and, you know, we push out our content in many other ways. I listen to your stuff online all the time. I go, right. to, the, I go to the website, yeah. and I, I listen to it. That so, way. I, more and more of our listeners are not listening in real time. Right. So we're, you know, repurposing and packaging our content in different ways in order to get, you know, more listenership and more impact and, yeah. you know, more clicks and all the rest of it. So we right. we push it out on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram, and we have, you know, our own app, the Odyssey app. And yes. so it's a lot more multi-platform than it used to be. But at the end of it, it's just content. Like, this is content. And I love this content. I was, Duff, I was telling Dave earlier, I've become like a, a TMC podcast junkie. Mm-hmm. It's my walk to work uh, content. Love it. I'm going to catch it. my Rick Winter a little, little bit later today. It's going to be it's going to be great. Yeah. Have you considered a, a crunch time segment in your show? <laughs> I haven't, but I've actually already thought about my crunch time answers for today. Okay. Assuming we get there. So we get there. Okay, a couple things we got to cover dibs before okay. before you go. 
First, real quick, you continue to be a CYO referee. Yeah. And last year, listeners, this is not a lie. Last year, I was coaching my 5B girls game, and my referee was Dan Dibley. How did I do? You did great. I will tell you, there's, there's one, I have one bone to pick with you. So just like you were talking about how you called timeout when you were down 56 because you didn't want to lose by 54. Oh my God, I remember this. I was up 20 near the end of the half and I called timeout because I wanted to run to have us practice our out-of-bounds play. And you looked at me like, <laughs> come on, coach. <laughs> You're up 20 in a game that we're going to score 25 points. Anyway, that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but but you, you did And you understand job. why that I was so, uh, so at odds with your choice of timeout. I do eight games. I do an eight pack. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, we run hungry? our games oh, on the God. hour. We have a game at 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, and 4. So I like to stay on time. If a coach is up 24 to 4 and he's asking for timeout with 11 seconds left to run an inbounds play in a 5B girl game, I'm skeptical. Okay. I'm skeptical too. Duly noted. Yeah. The play worked beautifully. It did work. For the and record. I believe you got a bucket. <laughs> I got a bucket. For and my I looked daughter. over and I said something to the, to the kid of, Are you happy now, coach? <laughs> Cost me 60 seconds. Okay. But, so anyway, yeah, year 36 coming up for me. You're 36 of yes. refing. So listeners, uh, you just might have Dibley roam in the sidelines at St. Vincent's for you or wherever. Um, so that, that's awesome that you do that. Yeah, it's it. fun. And it's a nice little side income. Side hustle. It's my uh, Vegas money. I go to <laughs> Vegas every year for March Madness. So whatever I can accumulate. Love it. Uh, through donning the stripes and whistle, that goes into my Vegas fund. And okay. then... Uh, you know, we risk it all on uh, Colgate versus Weber State. <laughs> Excellent. Great moments totally, in gambling. Totally. Okay. Uh, Cap Lavin and a flubber casting call. So in 1996-ish, uh, through the Drake Outdoor Courts, word spreads that they're going to have a casting call for the movie Flubber in the Drake Gym this Sunday. The only reason why I heard about it was because I was playing outdoor hoop at Drake. So I go there for a casting call, and they immediately divide up everybody into two groups. There's the basketball players, mm-hmm. all like Reed Nottingham, who eventually would make the movie, and like Poser might have been there. Yeah. There's all the basketball players, and then there's a whole another group of actors and nerds. Well, they put me, of course, <laughs> with the actors and nerds. And so the casting call is you're going to play one-on-one, one player from each group against uh-huh. each other. Uh-huh. They're going to film it, and so we're all lined up, and they're matching us up at random, and I go up against, uh, and I wish I remembered his first name, is Dana Moore's brother. Oh, Chris Moore. Thank you, Chris Moore. Great player for Centerfell, played at UCSD. So all these other one-on-one games, it's like the nerdling against an athlete, and it's like, I mean, the nerdling's got no clue. So I go out there, and I get the bit. They want me to look like a chump. So I come out, and Chris Moore gets the ball first, and he backs me down, backs me down, backs me down. He hits me the third time, and I throw myself back. <laughs> and I go flying, and he goes up, and he dunks it. So then I get the ball, and I kind of nerd it up, dribble, dribble, dribble. And I go to throw it up, and he swats it in the night yeah. throw. Then he gets it, and he comes in again and hits this little, like, 10-foot step back or whatever. And I get it again, and the pride kicks in. I'm like, no. So I dribble, dribble, <laughs> dribble down, and I go up. Like, I'm going to do the same thing. And I pump him. And he flies up, and then I step around for the up and under, little lefty teardrop. Sweet. And, of course, the crowd goes wild, reading <laughs> all those guys. And Chris Moore is like, oh, my God. And uh, 
I was thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to get the job. And three months later, they call me. They're like, we want you. You're in. Wow. And so I went to Treasure Island. We filmed three weeks. And if you ever watch the movie Flubber, you look on the blue team, the nerd team, number 11. Going to rent it tonight. I'm the backup big. I'm the tallest guy on the team. I'm 5'9". <laughs> I'm not a big man. But uh, your boy, backup center. I love it. And uh, That's great. it was actually hilarious. And Reed Nottingham yeah. and his wife are both in there as well. Just saw Reed. A couple Reed days goes ago. behind the back uh, in one spot, and his wife was one of the uh, the cheerleaders That's for awesome. the team. We were down fifty-seven-three at the half in that game. Sounds like your center fell. I hit team. the only three. By the way, <laughs> you don't see it in the movie, but we came back from fifty-four down at halftime to win that game. That's an amazing comeback. Huge, biggest in movie history. Uh, just saw Reed. Reed runs Falcon Camps. Uh, great guy. Okay. Um, crunch time. Okay. Dibs. Let's go. It's pressure. Greatest Marin County basketball player and coach. Wow. Uh, greatest Marin County player. I'd have to say Steve Calvert, and it's slightly controversial. Great answer. But watching Steve play on the 82 team, yep. he had 37 in the state championship game against Banning. Yep. And you mentioned this before. They won 87-85. Uh, no threes. Eight-minute quarters. Yeah. My brother Doug hit four huge free throws in that game. Wow. My brother Doug still harbors some resentment over the official box score. Steve Kettlework goes up for a dunk in the third quarter, and he gets tackled. And there's a photo out there of the Banning player who is, like, double-wrapped around his leg. Yeah. He legitimately got tackled, hurts his knee, he has to go out. My brother hit both free throws. They credited Kennelvort oh, those two points. The they points. They gave him the points. It's an outrage. But what Steve was able to do, and that was a team of immense talent, Dan Hunt, Chris Fulton, as we mentioned. Yeah. But Steve, who would go on to be drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Played for Santa Clara? Santa, Santa Clara. Clara. Yeah. And he got drafted by the Warriors. Yeah. Tore up his knee and never was able to, to play after that. But for me, he's the best I ever saw. Okay. How about Coach? It's tough. I mean, I, I would say Pete based on success, but I don't. I won't say Pete. I mean, best coach ever. He's thinking about a five B, you know, CYO coach. It's a great timeout. Someone's great who use of timeout. Drew up a though. beautiful set play. It's gutsy, <laughs> gutsy timeout. Uh, that's a tough, tough question. I'm gonna say Brett Tavani. Okay. And it's. It's a little bit off off the board. Uh, not at uh, all. Unbelievable coach. 50 years coaching. Love Brett. The fire. And I remember the San Rafael teams, Dave Deneen yes. uh, and uh, Bravelli and Scott Sellers. Absolutely. Marin County Hall of Famer and yeah. Chris Collins and Marty Riley. And it's funny because we lived five blocks from San Rafael High, my brother Doug's senior year, yet he went to Drake okay. because he lived with my grandpa. Okay. And so Brett has always... Like every time I see him, he's like, you know, you lived, you lived on Grand Avenue. So like, yeah, Brett, we That's did. Awesome. But I mean, Brett, amazing. Uh, favorite signature sports call of all time? Man, there's so many. But uh, favorite signature sports call? Man, that's. I mean, you could say. Miracle on Ice. Did you believe in miracles? Yes. I was actually at the Fulton's house in San Anselmo watching that on tape delay. Because we didn't, I don't think it was on live, and so so funny you say that. Did you heard the Fulton interview way back, episode one? Yeah, he talks about he had a great game that night. 
Yeah. The, the, the night, I think at the playoff, there was a playoff game playoff or something. Game, yeah. yeah. And said I had a great game and that was the night. And so it's funny you say it was watching on tape delay yeah. at their house. I'll afterwards. say that one yeah. just as another way to tell the Mike Fulton story. I was there the night they lost to Wilson, 80 to 75. Mike's last game. Yeah. As a varsity player, we actually just talked about this at the uh, Marin Athletic Foundation Hall of Fame banquet that I emceed. Yes, and uh, yeah, that's that's one of those nights I'll never forget when they they lost, they lost to Wilson. We've, I've mentioned this a number of times, but Chris Fulton texted me that they were in his three years they were ninety three and three. Right, right. So like losing that that team did not lose. So <laughs> well, that was. And that's kind of like your record in extending crunch time. <laughs> to be fair, uh, my friend Dan Dibley has contributed to the extension of the crunch time. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> Two of those losses must have been Chris's senior year, yeah. which happened because he right. lost once as a junior, exactly. zero times as a senior. Exactly. Um, okay, most memorable sporting event you've ever attended? Wow. Wow. Uh, Great question. I would say the 2010 Masters. Hello, friends. Oh, hello, uh, friends. I was there with my brother Mike. We went all week. And uh, Phil Mickelson, when he won his was that, was second. That, his second one, okay. His second, yeah. You can actually see my brother as Phil is walking off on uh, on 18. That was just one of those special special bucket list things. That's amazing. Nice. I would also throw in the, the 2010 Kentucky Derby. I went with my late father, Dwayne. It was on his bucket list. And so I was able to put together a trip for my father and my two brothers and I. So wow. I've been lucky. I've gone to a lot of great sporting events. That's very cool. Yeah. All right, two more. Favorite gym in Marin? Thought about this a lot. And uh, I went over and over in my, in my head about why this is my favorite, but it's the gym at St. Vincent's. And as a kid, I played there. Tile floor, Duff. I'm talking tile. Like, Let me look at your knees. <laughs> oh, no, brutal, brutal. <laughs> And because I was a B player, we only, I mean, that's where we played. The A, the A kids never played at St. Vincent's. Well, Duffy was a floor. B player until eighth grade when a backroom deal occurred and he made the A team. We're going to talk Whatever, about Whatever, he'll that listen later. to the pod. You don't have to spoil Investigative it. Investigative reporting. Here. It was, okay, a, it was a definite backroom deal. <laughs> it's St. Vincent's. And okay. the pavilion's a close second. And I do like the old pit at Marin Catholic, which predates both of you, yes. you newbies. But uh, for me, it's St. Vincent's. Not only because I played there on the tile, but now I, I ref there. And, you know, you drive down the long lane, the yes, tree-lined yeah, lane. Totally. And the stately church in the front. And you go all the way around the back. There's something magical about that place for me. Totally. Now, how is your hearing, having spent a lot of time in yes, the gym? Exactly. Because that has got to be the loudest. The acoustics. Oh, yeah. The echo chamber. that I've ever... In, Incredibly loud. Yeah. And I do have fond memories of Michelle Brevelli, 8th grade A final against yeah. Damon. Uh, I cannot remember her last name. She went to Marin Catholic. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. St. Pat's against St. Sylvester's. Many a clash. And she talked about having her dad yeah. in the top row. And her mom, I can still hear her chewing on Co- me. Yeah, coaching. <laughs> oh, my God. She was all over me. But I got a lot of memories as a player and a ref at St. Vincent's. That's great. That's a great answer. All right, last one. Favorite Marin County restaurant when you were growing up? Santa Fe Joe's. Okay. And it's, I mean, it was our tradition. Every Friday night, because MCALS was Tuesday and Friday, back when they played Double Round Robin, don't get me started, because I could do a whole podcast on the atrocity that is the schedule. (laughs) Yes. And I heard Michelle Brevelli and great points made by all. Yeah. Double Round Robin, 14 games, bring it back, although there's nine teams now, I get it. Our Friday night tradition, you watch Doug, 
in the Drake team, you go to Centerfield Joe's. So Centerfield Joe's on 4th Street, still yep. there. We talked about Marin Joe's, or, we, or I don't know if that episode has come out. Another, uh, I think that was Con and Chad. Marin Joe's along 101, yep. another great restaurant. Yep. But Centerfield Joe's, classic. Classic. Still go there all They're the time. Really obvious potential sponsors, too, when you think about it. Call us, Joe's. Yeah. Honorable mention to Deer Park Villa. I love Deer Park Villa, but no. Centerfield Joe's Fairfax. is where we would go every Friday night. I'd get the gnocchi. My mom would get the uh, the cheeseburger on the sourdough roll. Nice. Only eat half of it. I like the uh, they they I'd still scoop and score. they still have the uh, roll, yeah. yeah they still have the quote unquote diet plate, which is oh. a hamburger patty and cottage cheese. Of course, yeah. that's the diet plate at Centerfield Joe's. Uh, all right, dibs. Um, we seriously could talk for another couple hours and wouldn't even scratch the surface. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for being a listener and for supporting us. It means a lot. Thank you for all of your stories. Uh, we might need to have you on for round two. I think we will. I would um, love it. I thank you guys both for doing this because not only for me, I'm sure for many, many people, it is like a time machine. And, you know, when you listen to your guests and they're, yeah. they're telling stories and they're enlightening the young people. And I do like when you guys talk about, you know, the, the 1-3 pick and roll and all the other nuance of basketball. <laughs> it's educational. Yeah. But for me, the memory lane stuff yeah. is great. That's great. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Enjoy. Everybody, yeah. listen to Dibs on 95.7. 2 to 6. 2 to 6 p.m. Keep it locked. Monday okay. through Friday. Yeah. 95.7 the game. All right. Thanks, buddy. Right. Appreciate Thank it. Well, Dave, that was pretty fun. And I was only there for, I believe, about half of it. Um, but uh, I have subsequently listened to the whole interview. And uh, fantastic! It's great to have the Dibber on. I won't say I won't say no to the Dibber if he wants to come back on uh, and talk some more. Uh, I would love to hear more about uh, Hurricane Gale and 101.7 The Bone. Uh, but uh, anyway, Dave, what what did you think? I thought you did a great job with the interview. Uh, I'm sure you have some takeaways for us. Thank you, Duff. Yeah, a lot of fun. Um, it was hard to not snort and laugh uh, audibly during Dibs' mm-hmm. stories. Uh, well, to start, I mean, how great were the, just the pavilion, the Fairfax pavilion stories and retrospective, right? I mean, again, Duff, you and I met there. And so Dan's stories about, um, weekends going down there, going to the bakery, 5am, getting your donut and then walking up the hill to the pavilion, knowing it was open. Uh, it, it was, it was great. And I'm sure you Duff have memories of the pavilion as well. Yeah. And a lot of nostalgia there and, and nostalgia that I didn't even realize that I was missing out on, uh, you know, in terms of like living across the Creek, uh, from the Fultons and, you know, the time of the pavilion. And obviously you and I met at the pavilion. We talked about that, uh, or you talked about that in the, uh, uh, in the interview, Dave. Uh, I can tell you, because I've been in Pavilion recently, last year we rented it out for a period of time for our San Domenico team, that uh, it's no longer always open, Dave. You can't just walk in. Now you have to go down to the police department, get a key, and leave your driver's license. Uh, and when you show up to unlock it, there might be someone sleeping on the front porch. Um, however, rest assured, it is still cold. It is still drafty. There's probably going to be a puddle uh, on the, uh, I believe that is the north end of the floor. Uh, that you might want to put a, uh, a trash can out to catch uh, the drip from above. Uh, and it's still really loud when you turn on the heat. So those things haven't changed. Uh, so I played pickup at the pavilion. Yeah, I played pickup there a couple months ago, and I hadn't stepped foot in that building in 20 years. And it just, the smell right away brought me back to being a kid and working out with Fulton and you and CB and Dave Granucci. And 
Um, it's a it's a historic building, so uh, very fun to hear Dan tell those stories. Um, I loved the the whole Drake '82 team anecdotes. Um, I was cracking up at him talking about um, strolling around pirate camp like Mutt and Jeff with with Mike Hayward, um, and he was the hype man. But then just you know, Dibs being the ball boy sitting on the bench during the '82 team games, uh, great, just great, great stories, and what a storyteller. Um, so I thought, I thought that was, that was great. Yeah. Uh, and you know, some anecdotes with the characters that we've, we know and have heard a, a bunch about like Doug Donnellan, uh, that, uh, yep. change in the marquee, right. I mean, that, uh, that you can just almost envision, you can visualize that, uh, that conversation as it went down. Yep. That was, that was hilarious. Uh, the gremlins to, to the Muppets take Manhattan, uh, fiasco. Um, I love the Michelle Bravelli bullying scandal. Michelle, we'll have to talk about that, about you bullying little Danny Dibley into coaching <laughs> volleyball at Drake. Um, but you can just, you can see why Dan has built a career doing what he does. Um, he's just, he's quick witted. He's so easy um, telling stories. Um, he's very funny. He's very insightful. And my, my story Duff is a hundred percent true. We would sit in the summer league, the high school summer league at Drake. And I remember vividly being a, like waiting for my game to start and we're sitting up in the rafters at the Drake gym and Dibley is sitting there and he's just starts announcing the game to nobody. Um, but he's making up stories like they were we, maybe, you know, Tara Linda's playing Casa Grande or something. We don't know any of the guys on Casa Grande and Dibley's just making up their names and stories. And, and we were dying laughing and um, uh, totally unsurprised that he went on to a career doing what he does. Was he doing it in the style of Howard Cosell? Absolutely, he was. He was doing it like this. Here we go, Johnson down the lane. Oh, fouled. Um, Beautiful. And then finally, I mean, Duff, we broke scandal on our on the podcast. I mean, the whole uh, we'll, we'll call it Saint Rita's Gate, where Dibley made the A team uh, due to a backroom deal. I mean, I don't know, frontline first and only time involved. in CYO that's you know such a thing has happened. Unprecedented. Yeah. So um, thank you, Dibs. Really appreciate you uh, taking the time and being a listener. Dibs told us that that we uh, he he truly listens to the pod. Um, that's awesome. He just texted me yesterday, giving me feedback and advice on something that I always say that I shouldn't say. Like, will just, he I, listen to this episode though? Is he one of those people that likes to hear themselves talk? I'm sure not? he'll listen. Yeah. I'm sure he'll 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 give it a give it a listen. So. He gave us a player control as well, Dave, right? Yeah, he, did. he did not go to Drake, right? Hurricane Gale went that, to Drake, but not uh, not 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 the Dibber. So his three siblings went to Drake, Dibber did not. Um speaking of which, great segue Duff into player control. Yes, that's um, what I was aiming for, Dave. Way to go. That's why you're the the man. Uh so I have a player control. Actually, it is on behalf of our friend Rick Winter. Rick has uh texted me uh he wanted to add to his comment on what he referred to as the golden era of marin coaches when when rick was coaching he was at mc from 95 to 2010 i believe um and he in the interview mentioned himself Danellen, jonas honick brett tavani and farbstein and he said i was remiss to not mention the following tom bonfigley at justin siena great coach still coaching not at Justin Siena. He's at, I believe he's at uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Um, Reed Nottingham at Novato. 
Mike Gragnani at Redwood, Craig Pitty at San Marin, who we talked about with, with Chad and Colin, and Tony Butler, who was coaching the boys at San Rafael at that time. Tony, now the San Marin girls coach. So uh, Rick said, every night was an X's and O's battle. So thank you, Rick, for the player control. Thank you, but I'm not sure I'm buying the golden era. I mean, if that was the golden era, are we in the, the diamond era now or the platinum, platinum. era? Platinum. Sure. Yeah, I think we're, yeah. Duff, I think we're in the we're in the platinum era of assistant coaches right now. <laughs> right. Yes. And by the way, Brandon Johnson, Gabe Killian, you know, great assistant coaches uh, at Archie. It takes it takes a village of assistant coaches to give your head coach at least one or two nuggets of advice per game. True. Very true. Good players too. Yeah. Uh, you got anything? You got anything else, stuff? Uh, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners and, uh, final call for not final call, but repeat the call for correspondence and, uh, shoot us an email at the run TMC podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram, check us out on LinkedIn and, uh, check out the website. Thank you, Angela Ballard for keeping that updated. Uh, the run TMC podcast.com. Awesome. And now back to Luke Estrakin and stroke nine to take us out. Yeah, Thanks thank again you, to Luke. dibs and we'll talk soon.